Well, if you're a visitor here, my name is Rich. Uh, as John said, I'm filling in for him as he's uh, on the men. We look forward to him being back in the pulpit next week. We're going through Exodus. I'm excited about it. Um, it's it's going to bless your heart. Um, I did this in the first service. I'm going to flip the script a little bit, and I want to go back to what John prayed about, about what's going on in the Middle East. And if you have your Bibles um, or your electronic version, go to Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to show you... Uh, uh, where we're going to start this morning, it's also where we're going to end, where we're going to land at the end of the sermon. But I just want to put it in, in context and help us to think through as we walk through the rest of Ephesians about this idea of Christian unity and why it's so important for us to, to focus on that. Uh, in first, chapter 6, uh, verse 12, Paul concludes this. And he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And he calls us to be strong and to stand firm. And we'll talk about that towards the end. But I think what, uh, at least what I was seeing, this is personally, this is my personal reaction to what is going on uh, with Israel and in the in Gaza Strip, is what I saw last night was evil. What I saw was, was not evil people. I saw evil being portrayed through those people. I saw attacks on, unprovoked attacks on innocent people. And I saw horrific images of civilians killed, murdered, and taken hostage in the name of an evil ideology. So let's pray right now. Um, and actually, I'm going to just do a little moment of silence, and I'm going to close this in prayer. I'm just going to ask you to pray for the church in that area. Pray for the innocent people. Pray at this moment that we know of from the news reports, there are people who are innocent civilians been taken hostage and used as human shields. So let's pray silently right now for them. Father, as we sit here in a quietness and we hear the, the air conditioning system, Lord, I, I hear my own heart. I hear my own heart beating, Father. Father, I pray for those who are in harm's way in this moment. I pray for those who at this very minute are in the worst, dire situations that we could possibly imagine. Father, I pray for peace. I pray for this, this shalom and this, this, this indescribable love would overcome this place here and there. Lord, I pray for your mission and for your church across the world would stand for what is good and righteous. We would, we would be on the offensive and not be offensive. And Father, we, we step out in courage and strength, declaring how good you are to a world that needs Savior, that needs salvation, but through Christ. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for taking that moment. Uh, the past couple of 24 hours have been 
striking to me. So um, I've been thinking about this sermon, uh, obviously, all week, and it's a follow-on from two weeks ago when we started this book of Ephesians about this idea of Christian unity, and I think it's, uh, it's ever more applicable today after what's going on in the Middle East and the war um, that's happened there. So if you're, if you're not caught up with it, uh, check it out when you get home. Um, as there's continuing, uh, we strive for peace in, the, uh, in that area, but we also know with uh, different ideologies and, and some radicalization, there, it's going to be a long time. It's going to be until Christ, Christ comes back, for, to, probably till that's fixed. Uh, but what can we do here and now, thousands of miles away, when we can pray, uh, pray for them. Two, we can dig into God's Word and learn how we can not just be better, but we can be better followers of Christ. So two weeks ago, I started, uh, started this uh, uh, ambitious journey to walk through the book of Ephesians with you, six chapters in two weeks. And uh, the, first, the first Sunday, you'll notice it's, it's pretty thick. Um, Ephesians is, is God's, God's playbook for his church. It's, it's, it's what, what we are to do to become truly the, the bride of Christ. And just as a way of background, if you weren't able to hear the first, uh, first sermon, uh, Paul wrote this letter. To the, to the church in Ephesus, somewhere between 60, 61 A.D. Uh, we know by the, by the context of the letter and also from the book of Acts, you can read about his, his missionary journeys, through Acts 18, 19, and 20. Uh, Paul had been through this area. He had planted a church. He's now imprisoned in Rome, and he's writing a letter back to them. And he's encouraging them. He's also saying this is, this is the, the idea that God has loves us so much that he has a purpose for us. He loves us and calls us to him for a purpose. Uh, he opens this book with this idea of love, and he closes the book with this idea of love, the very beginning, the very end, and, and, and sprinkled throughout the six chapters. You'll see, that you'll see this word love in there, and we're going to hit a few of them. He uses the, the, the word for agape, which is the self-sacrificial, denying yourself love for others that Christ did for us. He uses this word 19 times in this book, which is a lot, more than anywhere else that Paul uses it. Um, so everything we're talking about, Dave, should be couched in this idea of love. So this way of a structure as a reminder. Okay, can we throw up the structure slide? Thank you. So the first three chapters that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, uh, we looked at God's purposes in this church, our purposes in Christ, and today we're going to look at his purposes in the church in chapters 4 through 6. Similar to what a lot of his letters, he opens, he opens a letter up with, uh, a lot of theology, and then he makes application. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked a lot about some deep theology. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the application. And there's going to be, I'm going to have a couple of graphs or a couple of tables up here for you to think it through. Uh, talk a little bit about the how, but really what I want you to get is, is the what. What does God want you to, to be like? What character and values and, and actions does he want you to portray to the world? Uh, and that's going to be a little bit how you do that differently for all of us. That's why we're here together to help one another. The theme uh, through this book, uh, it's a unity of church through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us into specifically the idea of a new temple and a new body in Christ. And you'll see this, this interchange throughout this book. The, when Jesus was crucified, it talks about in the temple, there was this huge veil. And when he died, it was ripped in two. So it was signifying we have access to God directly. And then Later on, it talks about the Holy Spirit indwelling the Christian church, indwelling each one of us, and we are that temple. We are now the temple. 
And he says, we need to build this up in chapter 2, build up this temple. So he's talking about us. And then he also references it as a body. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about the different parts of the body. And some of us are arms and some of us are legs. And we all have a purpose and, and a calling to which he's called us to do, to do a function. And the arm can't function without the hand and vice versa. So he needs all of us. He's going to call you to a specific purpose. So have this idea, this picture in your mind that he's building a temple and he's building a body that's describing us as a church. As we talked a couple of weeks ago, there was the context of Ephesus. The map up if you could, Katie. Um, so the, the town of Ephesus is in modern-day uh, Turkey. It's on the east side of the Aegean Sea. You can see his, that's one of Paul's uh, missionary journeys. Um, so he went through Ephesus there, as I said. And he planted a church there in Ephesus, I think strategically by the Holy Spirit, because Ephesus was a major trading, uh, trading center. Uh, it was a port, and there was a major road that went through there going east to west. It was also kind of a multicultural, diverse area, and there was a lot of different... Uh, Greek and Roman religion, religious ideas and, and ideas on theology and different gods and philosophy. So it was kind of a, a central part of, of society, which is not, not that much different than our United States today. And Paul planted this church there and said, this is how I need you guys to act and be. And number one, I need you to be unified as a Christian church. So we need to be unified as well as a church. One thing I find interesting, and uh, we talked again again about it a couple weeks ago, is our national uh, motto used to be e pluribus unum, so out of many, one. So out of many diverse um, immigrants to our nation, we became one under the Constitution, the ideals of which our founding fathers established, which they got from Christian Judeo-Christian ethics and ideas of the freedom of being able to worship, being able to speak uh, freely. The, tr- the trouble we have is when we have this idea of unity, sometimes we, we change that definition because we're because at our core we're all tribal. Um, and you can just look and see who, who sports teams you like and who your best friend doesn't like and, the, and the, the tension you have there. I think today's culture, though, we've def- we've, we have this idea of diversity bringing into unity um, but it's been a little bit corrupted. And the way you see it in the in divisiveness of our culture is you see that it's okay to be unified, but all you guys can be on my tre- team and be unity with me as long as you believe exactly what I believe. If you don't believe what I believe, then we're going to be divisive, and I'm going to throw things at you. I think that's where our culture is today in that it's not really unified into the mission of the United States. It's unified into as long as you, you agree to my set, of, my set of standards and what my truth is. As a Christian church, we need to rely upon the Word of God, what He's telling us in the theology of chapters 1 through 3. That is where we need to be unified, and it plays out how we do that in 4 through 6 within the body of church, within our community, within our families, and how we work. Because there is... As I mentioned earlier, there is evil in the world. And that evil, the thief, Jesus talks about in John 10, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that you may have life, and you have it, may have it more abundantly. So that's what we're here for, to figure out how do we have this life, how do we act as Christians within a community, and how do we influence our culture outside of us to have this life and have it more abundantly here and now. All right, so our big idea. Our big idea this morning 
Uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about God's mysterious plan, and the mysterious plan was to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together. He is now the, the one true God for everybody through the covenants of the Old Testament, not just for the Hebrews, but for every nation on the face of the earth, to bring them together under the salvation of Christ. This mysterious plan talked about where God came and he, he pre-selected you. He chose you before he formed you. He sent the Son to redeem you from your sin. And he sent the Holy Spirit as you exercise your faith in that to seal you in that salvation. All of us together, unified in one body. That's chapters 1 and 2. Today, I want you to see this unity through the new temple and the new body, this picture of, of this building up. So let's go to chapter 4, if you would. And we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. We read it already. Uh, we're going to take a look at it one more time. And, and our first point, what I want you to see, is he's calling us to walk. And through chapters uh, 4 and 5, he talks about walking four different times. So we're going to look at two of them in point number 1. And he's saying, walk is one who is pardoned. Go ahead and show that. Walk is one who is pardoned. And that is the idea that from chapter 2 that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God has raised you up by the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, the gospel. And through that grace of which he extends you, you exercise your faith, you will be saved. So he walk is one that's pardoned. So, it kicks off in verse 1, chapter 4. I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord. All right, so having this idea that, that all the things that happen in chapters 1 through 3, I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord. So he's talking about writing from, from, literally from prison. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And he tells you how. Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, in love. There it is, a love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then he lays out why. It's a remembrance. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you hear, do you pick up this idea of unity? There's oneness he's calling us to because God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are one. We are to reflect that as well. He hits that as who is over all and through all and in all. So God's power is, reaches everywhere. There's nothing that's, that's hidden from it. But it's interesting because he doesn't leave us alone. Verse 7, uh, he, this is why I want us to read it because a lot of times we read this and it's exciting. We finish in verse 6, but I want us to read verse 7 again this morning because it says, but grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's calling us up, but he's not, he's not saying, all right, I'm calling you up, now go do it on your own power. He's saying, you're doing this under the power of my grace. Right, so let's look at specifically what he's calling us to. So let's back up to this idea that he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. This word urge is interesting. It's, uh, it literally means to, to call up. So he's calling us up to walk in a manner worthy, but he's, he's saying, I'm going to do this with you because it's the call up beside me. So God has a calling on your life. In verse, or chapter 1, he says he's predetermined it. He's called you here today for a specific reason, and he's calling you up to that reason. 
And he's saying, he's not going to leave you alone. He said, I'm going to be right there with you. It's calling you up, and I'm going to be there with you. So you're doing this under my power to walk in a manner worthy. And the idea of walk there is not literally just moving your feet. It has, has more the idea of how you conduct your life, how you live. It's your character that's revealed in the actions and your attitudes towards others. So he's calling us up in the same love that Christ, who sacrificed for you, he's saying, come, come into that love with me and walk with me in the manner of which I have called you and created you and formed you and gifted you and built you. Individual. Every one of us in here is a little bit different. And he's saying, e pluribus unum, come together for the unity of the Spirit on the mission for God's church. He's saying, I need you to do this in your revealed character and action. Do this under my power, not your own. And what he's, here, here's, the, here's the contrast from that great theological movie Top Gun from the 80s, the original. Anybody seen it? Anybody? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Top Gun Maverick's better. I like it. But the original, a little cheesy, but it's good. So there's a scene towards the beginning Maverick and Goose are getting chewed out by their commanding officer, and they're all sweaty. I don't know why they're sweaty, because there's air conditioning on every aircraft carrier, but whatever. They're all sweaty. And, and the commanding officer yells at him and says, Maverick, your ego is writing your checks your body can't cash. Y'all remember that? Your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. Paul is saying, that's not the way you do the Christian life. Your ego will get you into trouble. Your ego will get way far out ahead of you. And he's saying, be humble. Walk in a manner worthy of that calling which God has called you with humility and gentleness and patience. So, Katie, let's pull up that, that uh, point number one again. I want to show you the difference what he's talking about between walking in a manner worthy. In verse 17, skip down, and he says, And now say this and testify the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So we're going to contrast what he's saying in uh, verse number one, he's saying, I need you to see if my, my pointer works. Tim gave me a pointer this morning. So he's saying in verse one, be humble. Verse 17, don't be ignorant in the futility of the mind in which you once walked, you Gentiles. Be gentle versus being hardness in your heart and unloving in verse 17 and 18. Be patient. Later it says, don't be calloused. You know, when we're calloused, we... we you know, if you ever get a callus on your foot, it's because you keep rubbing it, right? And you can't feel it anymore. You can't feel that pain anymore. So he's saying, don't, don't treat other people painfully because you don't seem to see it anymore. You've done it. It's become a habit. You don't even know you're doing it. Be loving and not greedy. Why? Because this is the calling which he's called you to. This is the, the purpose and the reason that he brought you out of the depths of your sin in chapter 2 and into his glorious presence by his grace so that you would walk in a manner worthy of him. God's calling us to this renewed state. This is the renewed temple, the renewed body. It's a new character to reflect his image. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. He's going to talk about that specifically, how we do that. Not as you once were, but through his grace, which you were called. Um, I want you to take you back to not only the time of uh, Top Gun in the 80s, but I want to take you back around the same time. And I want you to imagine me as a 15-year-old college freshman. 
I know I'm much better looking now. Uh, but I was 15. What's it? Oh, did I say college? Yeah. Yeah, I was really smart. 15-year-old high school freshman. Sorry, high school. Thanks. Thanks for the correction. Yeah. Let's, let's rewind that tape. 15-year-old high school kid. How many of y'all when you're 15 years old were really comfortable in your skin? Anybody? Anybody? John was. Really comfortable. Well, I, I don't know if that's y'all. I wasn't. I was quirky. I was weird. I much different than I am now, and, I, and I, back then I weighed about five pounds less than I do, so I'm waiting for that 17-year-old growth spurt. Still praying for it. I'm going I'm to call it into, into, into truthfulness here. All right, so I went to a really small high school in Tennessee. We had football, which I'm not really built for. We had basketball, which I'm not built for. And we had baseball, and I can't I, I run slow as Christmas, so I can't play baseball. So the only thing I could do was join the band. So Joined the band. Thanks for laughing. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Joined the band. And they had this initiation thing. So we're in the summertime. We're learning all of the songs. We're marching. It's hot. It's August in Tennessee. Humidity like 114%. And this, all the seniors kept talking about this initiation, initiation. They're all excited about it. Well, I didn't know what it was, but, well, I'm going to be part of the team, so I'm going to go through initiation. Well, what initiation ended up being was we all stood against a, uh, a fence line, and they threw all kinds of nasty, rotten milk on us. And I thought, why? This doesn't really feel me, make me feel like a teammate. I don't know why they're doing this to me, but it was initiation for fun. So back in the 80s, apparently really liked harassing people, I guess. So. Anyway. So at the end of that, I go home. Go home I pass initiation, and I go home, and I just... I, I, I do not smell well, and I, that the the fumes are just ugh, very permeating. It, yeah, I know it's nasty. So I go out behind my house, in my backyard, and I take my clothes and just rip them off, and I just th- throw them closest to the garbage cans I could get them. And I go in and I shower. Still, could still smell that funk, that nastiness. Go down to verse twenty-one, chapter four, twenty-one. Paul continues and he says, after don't walk like Gentiles, what we just talked about, he says, uh, assuming that you've heard about him, Jesus, and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to the formal manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He's, at, he's, he's contrasting this, take something off and put something on. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, he, he reminds us that we were surrounded so, by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us run this race of endurance casting off all the weights and sins, looking to Jesus as our author and perfecter of our faith. It's the same word. It's this idea of all those things in our life which hinder us and drag us down, these, these character traits and some of the values we have, and maybe some of your friends. He's like, hey, you need to cast those off. It's not just take them off. You need to take them off and throw them like they're a stinky shirt with milk, rotten milk on it. Not to throw people away, but there's some things in our lives that we need to to rip off and throw away because it's, it is souring us on the inside. And he, but then he doesn't just leave us. He says, I need you to put some things on. 
So take some things off, and let's put some things on. So uh, this is kind of reviewing uh, verses 25 through, th- through 31. Let's, let's bring that up, Katie. We're going we're gonna to put it in a, in a chart, and we're going to build on this chart through the rest of the time we have here. Okay, so very quickly. Uh, and you can read through this in, in detail later, and I encourage you to maybe in your community groups this week to kind of walk through it and talk about what this actually looks like. Because uh, like we talked about in the first, the first uh, portion of this sermon uh, two weeks ago, this is, this is wave tops. All right, so verse 25, he says, Take off lies, put on truth. Take off anger, strip it off and throw it away. Put on peace. That's back to verse 3. He talks about this idea of a thief stealing. Take it off. Turn yourself into one who's giving. Now, some of y'all may think, well, I'm not a thief. I haven't stolen anything. Think about that a little harder. Maybe you have. Maybe not be, it, may, it may not be uh, an, an actual item, but it may be somebody else's joy. Gossip. Well, we like to do that one, don't we? If you read through that verse, uh, it doesn't say gossip, but if you read through it, it's, it's gossip. Put on encouraging. So imagine if we didn't talk about people, but we encouraged them. What that would look like if we all did that. Uh, Verse 31 through 33, I call this attacking. It's not physical attacks, but this is relational, spiritual attacking. But the antidote to that is extend forgiveness. That is countercultural, isn't it? Because we want to fight. We want to stand on on our ground. So why do we do this? Why do we do this? Well, if we were all putting this on truth, peace, giving, encouragement, forgiveness, that would bring us together. We'd have some, a, a mission and a focus. But there's a why. There's a purpose here. The purpose, one of the main purposes of the church, go back to verse 12 of chapter 4. Verse 11, he says that there's, there, he's appointed some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Verse 12, to equip the saints, which is all you all, for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body, there's the body piece again, the body of Christ, until we all obtain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So the purpose of us acting civilized, as that list was, is so that we can do ministry. If the outsiders, those who don't know Christ, those who are, who are unbelievers, those who are far away from God, they see us in here backbiting and being angry and throwing insults at each other. Who wants to join that club? They're going to look, they're going to look at us and go, y'all are doing the, ver- the, the verbal version of my initiation against the fence. He's saying, put on this beauty and love from Christ. He says it this way in Philippians. And he gave the apostles, I'm sorry, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So then he goes on this beautiful passage of, of what Jesus did, his sacrifice for each one of us. But I want to go back to verse 13, because he, he had a point in there I want, to, I want to hit on. Until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and the part I left out was to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So we are to be the church. We are to be, we are to be the saints who go and spread the good news of the gospel, but we are to grow up into maturity. 
And this, uh, this word is, is the ultimate end, the finished product. Not just that we're a little bit more mature than we are, we are yesterday. This is through the power of the Holy Spirit as a unified body focused on the other people that we grow into the end result of what God has called us to do. We can't do that until we individually and corporately start to work on taking these things off and putting on the beauty of Christ. All right, so he calls us to walk as one who was pardoned. So because of this calling, he's like, I need you to do these things. That's, that's number one. Let's go to chapter five, and we're going to see we're going to walk as one who's deeply loved. Walk as one who's deeply loved. Look with me in verse, uh, verse number one of chapter five. Therefore, so he's summing, summing up and pointing us in a direction. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If y'all ever, uh, for those of you who have kids or maybe you've got a niece or a nephew or some kid around, have you ever, have you ever played that game when they're young and you start to like um, mimic each other? So you get them to smile, you get them to, to touch your hand or something. It's so it's this idea of mimicking each other. That's the word that God uses here. Be imitators. Mimic God as his beloved children. So there's that agape love. Because we are loved so much, because he's given us freely through his grace, so we exercise our faith in him, he's calling us to reflect his image and to mimic him in, in everything that we do. If we're using that, that put-off list, we're not mimicking God. The put-on list is we, where we are mimicking him. It's this agape love. It's a pattern of love and life. And notice also, he, he says, be imitators as God and walk in love, agape, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He's telling us how we walk. We walk in the same way that Christ walked for us. Now, that's tough because we live in these, these sinful bodies. It's tough because we live in these, this, emotion, this emotion, and sometimes we get angry, and sometimes someone wrongs us, and we want to react to that. It's natural. And God is saying, by my power, you can work through that. In those moments, he's saying, hit your knees and pray and say, God, I, 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 want, to, I want to put off this anger, and I want to put on this compassion and this forgiveness. Put it on. Um. If y'all ever watch the videos, uh, my wife does, uh, they're, they're kind of funny, like the dog videos, like dogs doing funny things. Anybody ever do that? Some of y'all? Yeah. Passing the time on the, on the YouTube. Have you ever seen the ones where, like, the little gosling uh, duck gets adopted by, the, by a dog or a chicken, something different than it? And then it, it, it raises it, right? What's called, what happens is it's called imprinting. That little duckling thinks it's now a dog or whatever it is that raised it, so it's going to act like a dog. Now, it's still a duck or a goose, but it's, still, it's going to move and act like that dog. It's called imprinting. And that's what God is saying here. He said, not only do I want you to mimic me as by my beloved children, but I want to imprint my love onto you. I want to imprint the love of Christ on you so that you can reflect it back. Because although we... We're in this world. He is trying to create a new body that mimics him. It's imprinted with this love. So, Katie, let's pull up let's, the, the, the next uh, graph here or table. 
All right, so we're adding to it. So he's saying put off, put off lies and anger and theft and gossip and attacks, and let's put on, so he, he goes on, I'm, I'm not going to read it, let y'all read it later, verses uh, 5 and on of chapter, or 3, three of chapter 5, I can't get my numbers right. Chapter 5, he's saying put off sexual immorality, put on self-control. Ooh, self-control, we don't like that word, do we? Because that kind of means you have to control yourself. It's kind of hard to do, isn't it? Uh, seven through ten. I, I'm I'm labeling that as just idolatry. We're we're making something else God other than what who God is. And he's saying, put on worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. We can't do this by ourselves. This is something we've got to do as as a church body, as a community, as friends who love each other and hold each other accountable. Sometimes that looks like just coming along somebody, that calling up and walking with them and, and, and working through that emotion of what's going on in their lives and being compassionate with them. Sometimes it looks like rebuking them, saying, hey, man, uh, you are acting more like this. You claim this, but you're acting more like you need to put some things off in your life. But there's a, there's a part in here that, he talks, that uh, Paul says, speaking the truth in love. So we need, to be, we need to speak, we need to be truthful, but we also need to be loving. We do a lot of speaking, but it's not loving. And sometimes it's not true. So that's where we need the corporate body in the unity of the faith to work through that. Okay, so we're to walk as one's pardon. Walk in love as one uh, under deep love, and then walk in the wisdom of God. So here we're going to pick up uh, verse 15 of chapter 5. Walk in the wisdom of God. Okay, so the first three walks, he's telling you some some what's, what to do. Put this off, put this on. Put this off, put this on. At this part, he's telling you how. So let's look at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Now you're probably wondering, dang, Rich, how'd you figure that out? Says it. Uh, How you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, let's go back to verse 15. It says, look carefully. And this is a warning. It's a warning about kind of like a... When you're driving down and you see driving down the road and you see flashing caution lights. It's a warning. This is this is doubly emphatic. Because the word he uses for look literally means translated look carefully. But then he puts the careful word in there again. So it's it's really like he's saying, Hey, big flashing warning sign. Look careful, careful. Look extra careful on how you walk. This is this is really an idea of of pay attention. Not only are you just doing the letter of the law, but are you in your character and your values displaying the love of Christ and how you do that? Let's look at, uh, he gives you a little idea of how this can be done. Verse 18 says, and do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery. We like to take that as don't get drunk because as long as you're not getting drunk, you're good. As long as you're drinking a little alcohol, but you're not getting drunk, but you're still a jerk, then you're okay, right? No. What he's saying is the bigger picture of this is be filled with the Spirit. Don't be influenced 
by other things that you're medicating your life away, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He talks about this in Galatians. talks about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, there's no other, against such things, there's no other laws. And those who belong to Christ have been crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. There's the how. We've got to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit to work with us during our, during our struggling times. And sometimes that's who we're influenced by and who we're with. He's calling us to this unity of a body, calling us to be together so we can hold each other accountable. He's calling us together so we can imitate and mimic God and we can encourage others to do it. There's a financial guy out there, Dave Ramsey, maybe some of y'all, many of y'all have heard of him. He quotes a study often, and this is really interesting to me. So they, a, some business school did a study, and what they determined is your net worth will be within 10% of your 10 closest friends. So you take your 10 closest acquaintances, you figure out what their average net worth is, and your net worth is going to be within 10% of that. So in other words, we're influenced by who we hang out with. Our crowd that we choose to be with is going to influence our values and our actions and what we do and the type of nature and character of people we are. And God is saying, church, I need you to get around people. I need you to be unified as a church and understand my theology in chapters 1 through 3 and learn how not to be a jerk so that that 10%, you could be 10% like Christ. If we were 10% like Christ, all of us, and acted that way, this world would change, wouldn't it? Why not be 100% like him? Why not rely upon his power to do that? So, Katie, let's pull up the, la- the last version of this, uh, this graph. All right, there it is. So adding them all up, and this is not, this is not all of them. This is the ones that I was able to, to glean through here. Uh, lies, put off lies, anger, theft, gossip, attacks, sexual impurity, idolatry. And then he talks about this idea of wisdom and foolishness. Get to know the, the precepts and who God is. You can only do that by studying his word and being with people who do. So don't be uninformed. And then this fake influence versus true influence. Be around those people to elevate. They're going to encourage you and lift up your uh, spiritual net worth. I would rather have that than a whole bunch of money. I think at the end of my days, I think my, uh, my tombstone, I'd rather have on those dates something that he loved Christ and loved others. Amen? Okay. We talked about that Jesus is calling us to be this new temple and this new body, this church. He goes on into chapter 5 to talk about husbands and wives, children and and, uh, fathers, and then he says slaves and masters. Now, I'm going to caution you on that last one. Don't get, don't get caught up in what our American idea of a slave is. It was different back then. So just think of that as employers and employees. Uh, it's not quite an exact, but it's not what we think of when we think of slavery. What he's saying is all of this put on and put off, we should do this in every relationship in our lives. And he starts with the husbands and wives because the verse before that says that we are submitted to one to another. And, he can, and that's displayed within your marriage in that you're reflecting the love of Christ and the, and, the, and the honoring submission of the church to him. And then children and parents and employers and employees, slaves and masters. 
But how do we do this? So let's go back to one thing I skipped over in uh, chapter 5, this idea of filling of the, of the Spirit. Verse 19, so you fill the Spirit, don't get drunk with wine. It says, addressing one another in, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine in your marriage, imagine with your children, imagine in your workplace if you acted like that. If you, if you had the spirit, the idea, or just the, the, the outward display of your countenance that inside your mind you're singing worship songs to God, how would that change how you view other people? He says specifically, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's the collectiveness together. That's why we come together and sing. It's not just to, to sing some lyrics. There is a spiritual aspect of us collectively lifting up and praising the name of Christ together so that we sing and make a melody within our hearts so that those songs are in our heart. There's something spiritual about this idea of singing. And as Chris preached last week, and I'm so appreciative of it, this, this idea of giving thanks always in verse 20, remembering what God's done for us so that we can look forward to what he will do us. And how would that change your relationships, your marriage with your children, with your boss, and with your employees? If you had that perspective, that kingdom perspective. And then the last part there, verse 21, submitting one to another out of, out of reverence for Christ. This is the idea that as we come into a community, uh, we will submit to the authority of that community, that collective body. So we're not going to come in there and be disruptive. We're going to follow what we believe and be unified in that. So in other words, it's like we read in Philippians. We're going to consider others more significant than ourselves. Looking not only to your own interests, so it's saying not deny yourself. We need to take care of ourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So how does that play out in your marriage with your children? And your, and your employment. I would love nothing more than to walk through those three, four paragraphs, uh, but that's another sermon for another time. What I want to end with today is this overall picture of this book is about Christian unity. He's calling us to understand his power and that, as I said before, he predetermined and called you for a specific reason and a purpose in your life. He sent his son to redeem you of your sins so that you can fulfill that calling. And as we exercise our faith, he seals us with the Holy Spirit for now so that you can put off and put on. Without Christ, you cannot put those things off. Those are human things that we all do. And some of you may be sitting there looking, I don't do any of that. Okay, you just did um, because you just lied to yourself. And to put on truth, we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is a reason. Let's, let's bring up that last slide, Katie, the little skydiving slide. The vision that Paul's laying out here, that God inspired him to write, is for this Christian unity because, as we talk about, there is spiritual warfare out there. We need to be unified together to stand against that. The purpose we talked about to equip the saints, to build up the church, to be on mission for Christ so that we can do that. And then our mission. Look with, look with me in uh, chapter 6, verse 10. Chapter, first, chapter 
6, verse 10, he finishes with this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It reminds me of what he told Joshua when he sent Joshua in to take the promised land. He said, Joshua, go in and be strong and courageous. He says it to him, I think, three times. Be strong and courageous, for I go with you. You're going under my power, not your own. So he's telling us the same thing. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then he talks about put on his whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, and the cosmic powers of the present darkness. And he says in verse 13, stand firm. Do not retreat. Stand firm. And then he talks about the, the, uh, the armor in verse 18. After you put all the armor on, after you pick up that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints, which is more prayers. Praying for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Praying for all of the saints out there to be on mission for God, to understand their calling, which he's called you. That calling is worthy of the love of Christ in your life. Be alert. Be prayerful. But you can't do that if you don't know him. Paul lays that out very clearly in chapters 1 and 2. He says, you were once in your dead dead in your trespasses and sins, but because of his great love, he sent his son for you. He sent his son that by God's grace, this free gift given to you, by your exercise of your faith, you will be saved. Nothing, he said, you can't do it yourself. You can't work your way to God. All you can do is accept his free gift. So if that's where you're at today, you're trying to work yourself to God, trying to be good on all those put-off things, you realize that you can't do it. You can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit until you know Christ. You can't put on this loving, agape love without Christ's power in your life. And the really cool thing is it's so easy. It's a free gift. He says, here, take it. Just believe in me. Believe in me. Let's pray. 